Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edward Porras, Doctor of Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst at FantasyPoints.com. Gracias por tus oídos. Today, we have the connoisseur of context. He's a fake football meteorologist at Sharp Football Analysis. He is the Swami of Konami. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A. He is at Lord Reeves. We have a lot of questions for Rich Rebar. We do. The first of The first question that I want you to answer, though, for me, please, Reeves, is how did you get the nickname Lord. And please tell me you didn't give yourself a nickname. <laughs> no, that, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I might've told the story before, but just whenever the, you know, I got Twitter in 2012, maybe 20. Yeah. I think 2012. Jeez. It's been that long. OG flex. It's almost, OG sad, flex. To be, it's almost sad, sad to be on there for eight years. But, uh, when I first got on there, it was, you know, the height of like game of Thrones was popular. And I wasn't like trying to do anything with Twitter. I just had it just basically for a newsfeed. I wasn't putting it's like everybody on there. Right. In 2012, yeah. I was like everybody. <laughs> and so like at the height of popularity, so I just like, you know, I just played off of like what was topical and did like, you know, Lord Reeves. And uh, I don't know if you were following at the time or you were really heavily invested in the fantasy when I changed it. I don't know if you remember that, but that was a big sure, deal no. like on Twitter when I tried to change it to Roto Reeves for a little bit and no, luckily no one jumped on the Lord Reeves handle, but uh, I wore it pretty good for a couple of days or people just, just digging on me for changing it. Cause I thought it was, you know, maybe, maybe pretentious or something like that. You know, you right, always right, people right. like fantasy guru one oh one or something like, so Lord Reeves, I thought maybe was, you know, as, as I started doing more fantasy work was just like, yeah, except like a little pretentious. And I knew I had made a mistake when Pat Doherty, uh, went on a podcast and said it was like the biggest mistake because the Lord Reeves, Lord Reeves handle was so good. Uh, so I immediately grabbed it right back. I was really lucky that no one grabbed it while I, was, while I left it open in the open. Man, that must have been a, 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 a slow time on the Twitter machines. Nobody grabbed that. I feel like I gave up my one of my handles from when I was a student. Um, and I remember I, for some reason I, I typed it in again. This was like three weeks later and it was somebody had already taken it. So Twitter handles are flying flying off the shelf but dude thanks thanks for joining me i really appreciate it and i also wanted to know since you brought up the lord reeves thing didn't your wife buy you like a piece of land yeah for like you know uh for for a christmas gift you know playing off of the you know the twitter handle i've had for so long which is basically brand now like i said it was almost uh one of the biggest mistakes i made was changing was trying to change it but uh it's basically just like land preservation you buy like a, a foot of land in scotland and it's like official you get the title it's like you know basically like an extension of naming a star after yourself but only it's an actual square foot of land, but it's basically land preservation. But it's a, it was like a four grins gift, but it was pretty cool. I thought just to kind of play You're a real lord and uh, yeah, and yeah. officially decree me an actual lord. So I had a lot of fun when she gave me that for Christmas. It was uh, a real fun, you know, like I said, four grins gift, but very topical and allowed me to kind of tweet it out and people had fun with it. So uh, it was it was very cool on her part to to kind of swerve into it. So. <laughs> one of the one of my uh, favorite things that's ever happened on Twitter, speaking of Twitter, is when I was well, I guess it was a podcast and then I tweeted it. You were on a podcast with with the boys with my boys over at Fantasy Points with Scott and Graham. And you were talking about I think it was James Conner, maybe. 
And you said, according to my ears, okay, this is my ears. <laughs> you said, I don't really know a lot about the health stuff. Maybe you could talk to that little doctor fella you guys got over there at Fantasy Points, Edwin. I contend you said little fella. And again, I'm not offended. Like if I had to rank my top, I tweeted this out. The top moments in my life was <laughs> being born, number one. Number two, getting married. Number three, Rich Rebar calling me little little doctor fella on a podcast. So can you, I mean, do you have any defense? Because fella is not, to me, it's not condescending. I mean, it's a, it's a shout out from the Lord. So what were you actually saying? Because I swear you said little doctor fella. I mean, I, I think I dropped a fellow, but I do, you know, speak quick uh, a lot. So it's easy to things that cut that off Cleveland you know, I accent, a, huh? I do a show. I go on the Joe Hoka show every Wednesday and they do these sound clips. Where they take your audio and they pair it to whatever, you know, puts the text to your, your audio. And I always, it never comes out right for me because the, you know, either my dialect or I just speak too fast and they, like something always goes wrong in the text. They just get a word wrong or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I believe I said fellow, but either way, I mean, I don't, I think I brought you up, uh, you know, we, this is the first podcast we've ever done together in our first interactions together, but I think I brought you up on more than any person this off season. Uh, coming into this year because your string of tweets that you had about the 2011 season and, you know, just being cognizant of, you know, the, the condensed off season and potential for injuries to spike. And, you know, I, I think I, I brought you up on, you know, maybe like a dozen different podcasts uh, over the course of the summer. I don't know if you caught any of them, uh, but, you know, your work that you did in that area was something that uh, I was very aware of, you know, drafting this season. And I tried to make everyone, that I could reach out to very aware of that work as well. Uh, and that string of tweets you had, and I linked it in a couple pieces and, and tried to bring up as many podcasts as possible. I don't know if there was any official data that actually played out. I'm sure you've gone back and done some of the, the work, but you know, obviously it, the, it feels like a little bit of a minefield this year, uh, maybe no more so than any other season. Cause it's so recent, but uh with the shortened off season, you know, the, the, the hammies, the, the quads, all that stuff uh, that has propensity to be re-injured. Uh, I was definitely high on my things to earmark this year of like, we need a lot of depth this season because things could go off the rails pretty quickly. Um, not from a COVID stance, but from an injury stance. So uh, I made sure to, to bring you up on as many podcasts as possible. Well, I appreciate that, man. And anytime that a genius, a fantasy genius is, is that might explain well, let me finish my thought that anytime a fantasy genius tags me and stuff, it's like, it's like the coolest thing. I mean, you're, you, uh, put out probably the most important fantasy piece. One of the most, maybe like one of the Mount Rushmore pieces of fantasy content. And, uh, I've gotten to know you a little better here in the last few days, just chatting back and forth. So that's cool. So I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I definitely, uh, during the summer would get random follows with the blue check marks and I'd be like, Oh, I wonder where that came from. And it probably more than likely came from you tagging those pieces. So again, the, the injury stuff, I'm not sure entirely how much of it came to fruition. The difference between 2011 uh, and 2020 now, obviously, is that the data on workload management is a lot more prominent now, and it's a lot more mainstream, whereas in 2011, it wasn't. So that might be a difference. When I went back and looked at the injury instances, there were actually a, a pretty fairly equal amount of instances 2020 compared to 2019. But again, the difference is teams could put players on the, and I was only looking at skill players, and play, and teams could put players on the skill or on skill players on the IR, sorry, 
for longer than, you know, it was just three weeks. So they didn't have to do the eight week IR. So that also sort of changes the numbers a little But I think if I had to go back and look, it might be a little more similar to the 2011 season, even if it's not as uh, in depth. But anyway, speaking of the piece that you put out, man, what, tell me, first of all, what is a Konami code? And is it really up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA? And how did you even like, conce- I was thinking about this, like, I didn't know how I wanted to ask you, but how did you conceptualize this? How did you birth this idea and then write it down? And then what, what were your expectations for it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is actually whenever I do tweet out the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, you know, and I typically will add a start at the end. Uh, you know, I'll get the, you know, the responses that it's, hey, you know, dumbass, it's select start and stuff like that. But either, neither <laughs> select or start are actually part of the actual code. If you look it up, uh, it's just those are the two things that start the game, select for multiplayer and then start to start the game, whether it's single player or multiplayer, you know, the old Contra code. Uh so neither one is actually official an official part of the code. But if you like were to buy a T-shirt and look it up and stuff, they all usually have start on them or something like that. So I do have just the BA in the in the handle. But I used to tweet it out a lot more. But now, you know, it, it's grown in such popularity that people will tweet it out now. And I don't have to worry about it, which is kind of cool. Or yeah, it's automized. It. You automized <laughs> it, basically. Yeah. yeah. And people will Konami it itself. Um but basically, I wrote the original Konami Code article in 2013 for Numberfire uh, for JJ Zacharyson's site when he was there, uh, like the head of you know content there. And I just did it as like a fill-in. I think they I think they gave me fifteen dollars or something to write the article. Oh my, are you serious? Uh, and um, <laughs> it just kind of it just kind of connected with everybody because it was like the cheat code. You know, it was basically I wrote the original article about Terrell Pryor getting to start the season for the Raiders, and you know how rushing production was basically weighted in terms of fantasy scoring and there was such a mindset that you know you could couldn't play bad bad quarterbacks for fantasy football but because the rushing production was so weighted it made these guys have a higher floor than assumed because they were you know quote unquote bad quarterbacks the tim tebow's of the world the christian ponders you know etc that like you know your father-in-law like wouldn't draft that guy like he if you draft him be like that guy sucks man like you could draft yeah I'm, I'm only drafting good quarterbacks you know but uh for fantasy it doesn't matter and it kind of took off and, you know, people kind of realized that it came to fruition like week one, Terrell Pryor had like 19 fantasy points or whatever. It was like a hot DFS play against the Colts. He hit, um, he started maybe like two more games after that and was like basically out of the league starting quarterback. And then, you know, popped up two years later playing wide receiver for the Browns and had that awesome year as a wide receiver. Uh, but, it, you know, it, I followed up with it back that season, did a, a follow-up article and kind of just showed the impact it had. Uh, in that season and then it's just really manifested and grown as more athletes uh, just human natural human evolution we've got more athletes just better athletes at every position so there's only you know it's only come to fruition that there's more athletes playing quarterback and now more guys that not only can run but now these guys can actually throw too instead of just having a you know a random you know Mike Vick for a season or having like a unicorn like Cam Newton we're starting to see the the duality of these guys where we've got actual pocket passers, pocket passer capability from guys that can run. Uh, and that's really what's kind of broken the dam now for everybody. And it's almost not even like a cheat code now. It's basically a prerequisite, you know, for fantasy football. There are still some of those guys exist. Like you think like Taysom Hill in the middle of the season was like a throwback Konami code guy where like 60% of his points are coming just from rushing. Cam Newton this year, if you think about like, 
he was the QB 15 overall scoring and threw eight touchdown passes. Like that's a traditional <laughs> Konami, you know, type of, of guy, a guy that basically made his floor. But now we're starting to see guys just break it down. Lamar last year was really it. Like he was the pantheon. Like when you have a guy rush for a thousand yards, then throw 36 passing touchdowns, you just can't combat that in fantasy. Like these guys have too high of a ceiling and we're starting to see, you know, Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson, uh, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, you know, Russell Wilson is a little bit in him. And then, you know, even guys that have a little bit of it, uh, to go with passing stats like a Ryan Tannehill, Patrick Mahomes has a little Konami in him, uh, Justin Herbert, and we've got all this influx of guys come in like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. So we're starting to just to see this become like the natural kind of what the QB position is now. We've seen NFL teams now really kind of express that they desire mobility at the position as well now. Uh, you know, not everyone was really looking for a traditional pocket passer anymore. Uh, you look at just fantasy this season, how it played out. I mean, among the 11 quarterbacks this past season, to average 20 or more fantasy points per game, only Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady had a single digit percentage of their fantasy production come via rushing, uh, while the average amongst those players was 21% of the production coming from rushing production. Uh, alone, and you look at just from like top shelf fantasy performances, we had 43 games this season in which a fantasy quarterback scored 30 or more points. Just seven of those games came with fewer than one rushing point, 10 of those with fewer than two rushing points. The average was 7.4 rushing points per game, 21.2% of those points per game coming via rushing. 25 of those 43 games came with at least one rushing touchdown. Uh, so I mean. The, the apex of the position now is getting carried by these guys that are giving you passing production, but also, you know, giving you this like influx of weighted production because the, the production from the ground is still heavily weighted via passing. I mean, 10 rushing yards is weighted more than 20 is the same is equal to 25 passing yards, you know, uh, 40 rushing yards for a quarterback is equal to a passing touchdown. So you look at these guys now, the margin uh, of error, these, these pocket passers as the only pocket passers, they have to basically operate on a level like Aaron Rodgers operated this past season just to kind of, you know, hang around the floors of some of these guys. And you look at guys like Kirk Cousins, Ben Roethlisberger, Matt Ryan, Derek Carr, all those guys were in the top 15 passers this season in terms of passing points per game. But all of those guys combined for just nine top six scoring weeks this season uh, because That's they just insanity. didn't offer, they, they just didn't offer the ability to get to that ceiling. It, it played a real big impact in DFS as well this year. Um, Cause in, you know, you think about like the late round quarterback and being able to late round quarterback is just be able to stream a guy off of waivers. And that's, you know, equivalent to DFS, being able to play a cheap player. Uh, and it was harder to do this year than any other season because of though the ceiling, those guys were providing, even getting a guy like, that give you 19 or 20 points, it, it just wasn't able to combat these guys that were getting 30, putting up 30s on the, on the, on regularity. Um, so it's not that just late round QB can't work. It still can. You can get tangible points still from the stream, streaming your guys uh, off of waivers or running into guys. It's just much tougher to uh, arbitrage the, the, the total points that the elite quarterbacks are scoring now, because it's not the Peyton Mannings, the Drew Breeses, the Tom Brady's, at the top of the position that you only had to arbitrage a percentage of passing production. You're also getting that passing production now with guys that are adding, you know, five, 600 rushing yards, the ability to rush for a touchdown at any given game. Um, uh, so I'm really excited to see how it is moving forward um, in, in the influx of positions. What it's going to take is that that subset of quarterback is still going to be really valuable, 
But until we get that subset of quarterback overrun, like I talked about some of those rookies coming in and maybe some other guys paying out, we just need, we need more than like 12 to 15 of those guys. And we're slowly getting there. We're just almost everyone is offering this ability, but until we get there, it's going to be harder to do the late round quarterback approach and stream the quarterback position just because of the ceiling that archetype of player provides for fantasy, the way it's traditionally scored. Oh my God. Do you, do you just have all these stats on top of your head? Are they in front of you? Please tell me. I mean, so just... this this is some this is a familiar topic. So, <laughs> oh my god, I was listening. My head was spinning. I feel like I just snorted five minutes of fantasy football content. I'm better for it. But so that but you sort of touched on my next question, my follow up. What is the future of of the quarterback position in fantasy? Traditionally speaking, like, are we going to be you know drafting Kyler Murray in the eighth? Are we going to be drafting Dak in the ninth? Like, what's this going to look like for a competitive team? Like, if you want to have a competitive team and stay at least within that top 12 to 14 quarterback on a weekly basis. Are we going to stream like streaming going to die? What's what, where do you, where do you see this going? So the interesting thing about this is because it's, you know, the, the difference between this season and 2011, because we had another, you know, explosion off of, you know, whether you want to say the condensed off season, the NFL, not calling as many penalties, especially holding penalties this season and passing stats just blew up. They did the same thing happened in 2011. The difference is, is that after that 2011 season, if you remember, that was the season that Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady all threw 40 touchdowns. Uh, they were drafted in like the first round the year after. The, the, the problem is, is that even if we have passing regression as a whole, these guys don't regress. The legs don't regress. They, they do eventually. I found some, the, the little bit of work I've done from the quarterbacks that have uh, the runners we've had previously do show like a, like a running back or wide receiver. There is a plateau. Russell Wilson's a really good shining example of that. Now, like uh, you start to see less running uh, when quarterbacks typically get into their thirties, you know, kind of almost like a, like a running back cliff. It, it's a little later. Um, but you know, until we get to the, until we get to that many players, you know, kind of building out that sample, it's a lot tougher to gauge, uh, I do would expect that, you know, some of the passing production to regress as a whole league wide going into next year, but the Russian production is still going to be there for that subset of guys. So until we have uh, just that, uh, like an abundance and a cup overrunneth of dual passers and runners that are tangible for fantasy, that's not, that that's going to be what breaks it and, and makes late round QB a thing again, when there's just more of those guys that, that can be rostered or started. Uh, but there still is just still a small subset of those guys. Now it still really is like what five to eight guys uh, potential for more, but until we get there, I just think it's a lot harder to forego that tier of quarterbacks uh, you know, it's just a lot harder to go into the pocket passers. Now, you still might be able to run into guys this year if you had Justin Herbert off of, you know, waivers. You ran into that guy the year before it was Ryan Daniel. So it's still an option. You can still get those guys. Uh, but bypassing that last year of quarterbacks this year, Josh Allen was like the cutoff. It'll probably be like a similar cutoff to Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray uh, tier. If you wait longer than that, uh, you're probably going to be at a disadvantage. and You're going to need one of those quarterbacks to run into a pantheon season like Aaron Rodgers had passing the football to kind of combat those guys. Who who do you see being next year's Josh Allen? Cause I talked to JJ as well and he mentioned how Josh Allen was sort of the last, that the last one that you could really pick up in that tier leading into 2020. And the re it's so, I don't know how you guys, when I say you guys like your, your top, top tier analysts 
can even create these tiers that are so accurate. Like I am a consumer of the fantasy content itself. I put out injury stuff, but like the, any of the content rankings, tiers, etc. I'm in constantly amazed at how accurate collectively all of you guys are when it comes to to tiers. Obviously, things change from from year to year, and and a player might drop a, a, a position, a slot or two, but typically you guys are spot on with your tiers. Who do you see being that sort of last, maybe a couple of them who are in that last tier that you can, that you can get in drafts next year as of today, obviously what's going to change. Well, I think the, 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 like, you'll probably be like, you know, Justin Herbert, Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, it depends. I think Herbert will probably have some variation, you know, how high people get him, but he'll be, you know, definitely QB one. Uh, I think those will probably be like the, the, the last guys. And then we'll have like the up and coming tier, the potential, you know, does Joe Burrow return? Uh, you know, this is a, you know, probably more in your wheelhouse. You know, is he going to have that mobility next year, even if he starts the season or, or, or if he does start week one, does it hurt his mobility as opposed to, you know, being on PUP? Like if he is to come back in week, you know, seven, does that bode better for his rushing performance kind of bouncing back instead of playing week one? Uh, he's definitely like in that, that, uh, you know, company though, if, you know, he's, if he's fully healthy, um, then, you know, we have this just gaggle of rookies that they all run, you know, Lawrence Fields, Wilson, Trey Lance, if he starts, uh, Jalen Hurts, if he gets a chance to start, would be up there. Uh, but I would say like Tannehill Herbert would probably be the guys that cut off, um, from just that standpoint, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing of like JJ similar to me, like the way we do tiers is I don't care. Like a lot of people just section their tiers off by rankings and they say, well, this is a cutoff where the ranking is. All I care about is how players accrue their fantasy points and that's how I tier them together. Uh, so, you know, you know, th th that's why those guys were in a tier like the Josh Allen was in a, was in a tier with Russell Wilson like that, even though he was so far away, not having the passing acumen. It was just the way he scored his points, you know, having that kind of duality offered him that type of ceiling that if he did run into a, a, a season, no one saw foresaw this coming. I don't think even the Bills foresaw this coming, uh, no. the, what he had throwing the football this season. But it was in his range of outcomes because of the way he just scored points, that if you ran into a good passing season with him, that he offered a fantasy ceiling. Like that Lamar was like that the year before, too. Uh, he obviously is kind of more of a unicorn running the football, but no one really kind of envisioned the ceiling for Lamar from a passing stance of 2019 to be where it was. And that might be an outlier for his career, you know, moving forward. He may never have a 36 passing touchdown season again uh, or that high of yards per pass attempt. But it's with those types of players, all you need is that for to line up because the rushing is there and it's so heavily weighted for fantasy scoring. Uh, that it just it, it just takes those guys to just another level. But all I do is care about is how guys score their fantasy points and how they're used on the on the football field. When I'm sectioning guys together, it could be a guy I have ranked as the RB10 and the RB30. But if they score their points the same way, they're still in the same tier together for me. Uh, it just, you know, kind of just allows me to do a little bit of arbitrage later on, but JJ's in a similar fashion that we just care how guys score their points because volume and usage is kind of fluid. You know, uh, we, we want that, that stuff can oscillate, but, uh, you know, typically players like, you know, Tariq Cohen's not going to just get 300 carries in a year. It's just not the way he's going to be used. Um, so we, we, you got to have to kind of tear guys up on how they're scoring their points and how they actually are utilized on a football field first uh, and then let the volume take care of itself. Beautiful stuff, man. So I want to get a little bit more into general fantasy advice because I am a big believer of the basics are basically what are going to get you success. 
I feel like being really good at the basics helps you branch off. And I feel as though when I look out into the general landscape, everybody tries, everybody's trying to create a stat. Everybody's collecting their own data. Mm -hmm. Everybody's putting out their analysis and that's not to knock them necessarily, but sometimes I feel like the greater point is lost. Like how is this information applicable? Where do you see in terms of fantasy players? And we can stick to redraft if you want, or you can go dynasty. It's up to you. What do you see like the biggest mistake, like the biggest rule that should be obvious and something that every fantasy player should be doing or or not doing that you see that's that's far too common? Well, I think it's a great time to ask this question, too, because it's we're heading into the uh, the start of the offseason offseason season. Yeah. And it's, it's, so I always talk about this. It's, it's definitely, I don't love fantasy football in the off season. I like it because it's, it gives me more time and more time to look at everything, but I don't like it because we spend seven months starting basically, you know, Monday and we've actually already started, but you know, <laughs> we spend seven months just focusing on this one element of playing fantasy football, your, your draft. We spend seven months of just focusing on drafting and you should not just focus on your draft. Honestly, the biggest fallacy in fantasy football is this notion that you have to win your fantasy draft. You're lucky to even get through the fantasy season with half your the players you drafted on your roster. Uh, but we spend this seven-month cycle looking at bulk stats from stats that just happened or future projections and applying them to how we're drafting our football teams, you know, come August or, you know, if you're drafting best balls now and stuff like that, it's, it's impacting how you draft these just what just happened in totality and what we believe is going to happen in totality moving forward in the 2021 season. And the, you know, all the, 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 the fans will such a week to week game. It's not played over the, you know, it's played over the course of 17 weeks. Uh, but on a week to week basis, you just don't get all your stats and they just get evened out d- differently. You know, it's, it, 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 it's not like that, you know, it's fantasy ball is not scored on a bell curve. It's, you know, you have uh, a week where a guy scores 30, he might score eight one week, you know, and you have to deal with that. You know, if you look back on it, someone's going to cite Ezekiel Elliott. Hey, he was the RB9 last year. He was a top 10 running back. Would Ask anyone who owned Ezekiel Elliott on their roster if they felt like Ezekiel Elliott was a top 10 running back in fantasy last year. Yeah. Tyler Lockett, no someone's going to say he was the wide receiver eight. You know, obviously in Tyler Lockett won you flat out, won you a few weeks of the season, flat out beat your opponent with some of his spikes, but there was also a lot of laws in there. He was not basically, you would consider a, you know, top guy you would rate wide receiver eight on a weekly basis when you're doing weekly rankings or setting your lineup. You don't think of him as like a set and forget wide receiver one, but that stuff will be cited over the course of the season. Uh, fantasy finishes in general, are way overrated. Uh, unless you're like a top three guy, that's the only thing you need to really cite. Like, hey, this guy was the wide receiver two or this guy is the wide receiver one. Anything beyond like that, like doesn't really matter. Uh, you, you lose context, uh, but it'll be cited because we're going to look back at these seasons in totality. And when people do their projections, they're going to say, well, this guy comes out as the wide receiver, you know, 10 for me or the RB8 for me. But, you know, that doesn't mean anything on how it's going to play out in the actual 21 season. Uh so definitely just, you know, loss of focus on, you know, not just focusing on having to win your draft. I actually am a firm believer in just not really getting caught up into liking, loving or hating players at all. Uh, not just, you know, it, it, the fantasy Ooh, landscape. Explain is, that. Explain that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the fantasy landscape has basically become so saturated with player analysis. You're going to read 35 Justin Jefferson articles this off season and how I might write one of them uh, because I was going to say, I might read, I might read it and put it out there. <laughs> that's the way it goes. I mean, cause that's what gets clicks. That's the unfortunate position we are 
in fantasy content creation versus in, in the way it's consumed. People care about individual player pieces. They want to read rankings. They want to read linear lists. Uh, none of that stuff really matters, man. Uh, we get so like tunnel vision on whether a player we love or hate a player coming into the season, but really the, all we should care about of ours range of outcomes, how he's used and what kind of draft capital he costs in our draft. Uh, you know, I didn't particularly like uh, Stefan Diggs or Keenan Allen this season. Uh, wasn't particularly high on them, but drafted on a number of teams because of where they were going to draft, the role they played on their teams, uh, and the range of outcomes that they that they had on their. From my projection stance, I didn't have the bills of Josh Allen being as good or being this pass heavy, but I knew that he was the lead wide receiver for his team. He was being priced as a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and he was being priced into a range of the draft where you should be focused on wide receivers versus running backs. Uh, so I knew from just playing, uh, having just the simple guideline of principles of playing fantasy football, it didn't matter what the hell I thought about Stefan Diggs because he lined up into all of those things that where I wanted to draft. Uh, so, I mean, did I really love the player? No. But did I have him on a number of rosters because of the way you just play fantasy football? Absolutely. So I try not to get really glom on to, you know, uh, like, liking or hating players. Uh, I just care about more where the field values them, how they're used. Uh, do I believe there's, you know, ceiling outcome to where they're priced, you know, versus floor and, you know, focus on stuff like that. You should just be more focused on the principles of playing fantasy football. You know, don't get caught up on those player names. Think about, like, you know, in drafts, avoiding second-tier running backs. Who cares if if you like one of those guys? Uh, you know, focus on running wide receivers, uh, rounds three through seven, stay clear of mid-round tight ends. Those are all just general principles. You don't even have to look at player names. When you go into your draft, that's what you know not to, not to do. Uh, so, I mean, you just kind of let, you know, just – there's a there's a way to play the game of fantasy football that gets overlooked now because there's so much player analysis that saturates the field, uh, and I wish we could get get away from it. I wish we could pass out more fishing poles than just you know hand out fish. That's what is like turned into fantasy football analysis. But that is you know from an SEO stance, that's what get clicks. People want to click team based stuff. They want to click player based stuff. Like I said, they love lists. People love rankings. It's the same thing. You know anything? It's not, take remove fantasy football. Favorite Denzel Washington movies. Someone has a list of those. You can go find those on a ranking list, and people are gonna read those. And you know, I'm gonna stop you right there. <laughs> What's that? List your top five favorite desserts right now. My favorite desserts. Yep, top five. Yeah. Uh, so just plain regular cheesecake. Number one, plain cheesecake. Like a maybe bad number five. Bean. Bad, bad, bad choice. Continue. That, uh, I'm a cream cream cheese is uh, one of my vices. But I don't love uh, like real rich desserts or like I don't need like a lot of uh, razzle dazzle, like real simple things. Uh, so like I said, like a like a plain cheesecake or okay. what's number two? Uh, 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 let's see. I'd say maybe pumpkin pie is high. Ooh, interesting um, choice. Number three. Um, yeah, see desserts. I don't even have five desserts to go to. Uh, not a big, a big. Sorry, you're a big health nut. Reeves. Some I'm of not, us aren't. Some I'm of not, us indulge just, every now and then. Uh, like I said, though, but, you know, like people, some people love like, you know, like Snickers cheesecake or stuff like that. Right, or, like, right, right. Crazy ice creams and stuff like, you know, or like, you know, uh, you know crazy Sour Patch Kids ice creams or something, something weird, you know, uh, but I don't really get into that. But I, 
it's just just stuff that's real simple uh like i like angel food cake you know very Ooh, that's a good one no i'll give you that one yeah but you know like okay. pa- like pound cake angel food cake it's not mm-hmm, exotic mm-hmm. it's not but just no, very nope. simple uh very simple dessert just classic uh, easy to get to. So I'm like more in that lane, but you know, the, that's what like people care about those. Like you said, <laughs> I love it. I love that you went from like, I tried to throw you off. I tried to keep you off balance. You're talking about what people value in terms of lists for fantasy content. And you jumped right into, okay, well, number one is cheesecake, <laughs> but I love it. I think that your point is well taken. I, I think you make, it makes a lot of sense that there's some, there's space out there for people to create content that, like you were saying, instead of giving them fish, give them a fishing pole, and teaching them how to play the game. I don't think there's a lot out there uh, in terms of that because I mean, you're I'm really sort of coming to terms with a lot of what you're saying here. And I feel also personally attacked because I loved Marquise Brown and I suffered for it this year. I took way too much Marquise Brown, way too many places. But I think what you're saying makes sense. And it sort of leads into my next question too. Tell me, for, for content creators then, like what general advice do you have from, it can be from a technical standpoint of have quote unquote growing a brand. It can be like what kind of specific topics to talk about where you think there's an opening in terms of something that even you would be like, oh yeah, I would click that and read that. Like, tell me what you, where you think content creators can go. Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously from my stance of, I kind of have the best of both worlds now because, you know, I'm a little bit more established and I can get away with maybe not, doing as much stuff that is purely driven by SEO. I can write an evergreen article that's not going to get a lot of clicks uh, just because I have a little more cachet in the bank. You know, someone with 200 Twitter followers is going to have a harder time getting that out there, you know, to somebody, um, which is which is really tough, you know, because it's saturated field. You, you know, if you're going to have something pop, it's typically going to be something player related. Uh, it's going to be tougher to come along the next zero RB and have in, and be able to push that if you're not already established, just because it's grown so much. And, you know, the, just the eight years, even I've been doing it. Um, but that is like what I wish was popular. And that's the kind of work I, you know, I subscribe myself to do stuff that is more evergreen. I want to be able to write an article that I wrote last January and be able to cite it. You know, I, I can't, I wrote an article, if I wrote an article on Cooper Cup last year, it's worthless now. You know, it, it was great for those three months it was out, but it doesn't do anything right now. Um, you know, it, it probably got a lot more clicks than something than I did, you know, based on, you know, ADP and how you should draft and how we should handle positions and drafts. But that's the stuff I genuinely, the work I enjoy doing and it, and it founds all the principles I do in playing fantasy football. Uh, that stuff always doesn't do popular, but I would definitely, you know, encourage more people to make that more popular because until we push it more, uh, you know, the general, general pop consumer is going to keep clicking rankings is going to keep doing the same stuff until we make it more homegrown that, Hey, playing fantasy, learn, just, there's a way to learn to play fantasy football uh, that isn't grifting. You know what I mean? Like we don't have all the answers. We definitely don't have all the answers, but that's why I said, I'd rather teach someone how to fish uh and do it on their own instead of saying hey you have to draft dj shark like it's my one must own player i mean that's why i'm such i'm such terrible at like hot takes and stuff for fantasy because of that i'm a little too more pragmatic. pragmatic yeah and uh you know that's just the you know what i wish was more popular but like if you're someone that's just coming up and you want to do fantasy work that's what i would encourage you doing and getting that out because it's going to stand out more like i said listen Someone's good. There's going to be a half dozen people are going to write DK Metcalf articles and why DK Metcalf's the wide receiver one this year. There's going to be a bunch of things on why what you should do with James Robinson this year. The discord of James Robinson. Do you buy or sell James Robinson? Uh, 
you know, Christian McCaffrey, is he coming back? You know, what to do with Ezekiel Elliott with Dak Prescott coming back? Like all that stuff's going to be written by multiple people. It's going to be out there. You are not going to be original and be able to stand out writing those pieces. So if you're someone trying to get in, I would encourage you try to you know, focus on something evergreen. Honestly, the easiest stuff that I encourage people to always say is just ask yourself a fantasy question. Ask yourself that question and just go answer it. Take the data. Don't go in. Go in open-minded and, and write wherever it takes you. Uh, sometimes it's That's in a good completely advice. different direction, like which you believe. Just ask yourself a question. Say, hey, do wide receivers that change teams, you know, hit better than not. And like, just go answer the question and put it as an article to take something, you know, the, just take it in, in, in a question and, and go from there uh, and let that be your content instead of focusing on these are my top 10 must own players or like, this is my bust of the, my bust of the season uh, because everyone's writing that stuff. Everyone's doing it. And, you know, I have to put that stuff out too. And eventually, you know, you do and you have to play the SEO game a little bit. But uh, for people that don't have to play the SEO game, I would encourage you that you're going to stand out a lot more if you can produce something that's a little more evergreen. Yeah, absolutely. I think I love that advice. I think part of the problem, not problem, okay, I shouldn't put it that way. Over the last year and a half, I've seen my own growth uh, in this little little subsect of injuries. And what I found is that it's it's so crazy, man, because I think you're spot on. My favorite articles and threads that I've written for myself, like sort of like vanity pieces, I guess, things that I've found the most interesting have gotten like the, the least amount of traffic. Stuff that I feel like should, <laughs> like just ran like bullshit narratives that I try to, sorry to the kids, uh, just, just BS narratives. Like, you know, this person had, this running back has a lot of miles on them or, oh, that person's injury prone. And it's like, those are my favorite topics to talk about. But like you said, that's not what drives traffic. What drives traffic is tell me the 13 ways Josh Allen lucked his way into being a top five passer this year or something like that. You know, that's like how you get clicks. And um, I fully believe that. Josh Allen was ranked like eighth in the most interceptable passes this year. So I think that next year he's going to regress. That's my total hot take since you won't give any. That's my hot take of the year, hot take of the, of the offseason. Um, anything else you want to talk about uh, this specific subject before we move on? No, I mean, that's that pretty much covers the ground. I mean, listen, it's 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 always a balance. You you definitely have to, like I said, play the SEO game and get roped into rankings and stuff like that. I mean, I definitely, if, if people have followed me for years, I've gone on diatribes on you know, the misrepresentation and consumership of rankings and that how bad that is for actually our game of fantasy football. But like, that's the stuff that's the most popular. So sites are going to have to do that. I have to put out rankings for that reason, because those are going to get a bunch of clicks. But so if you can just find enough balance to mix in, uh, like I said, something more topical, stuff that can last, stuff you can reference in future years across your player pieces, uh, you know, some of the, you know, you guys have a few, a few good people are like Graham and Scott are both great at that. Like they'll, they'll put out their player pieces and these are my favorite players, but they also do a lot of stuff on playing the game of fantasy football on what's actionable and playing the game. And that's why those guys have found their stations in this field. Uh, just, yeah, it's not easy to do, but uh, definitely go out and do it. And definitely I said, uh, I used to be one of those guys that came in and said, I have to find, I'm going to be the person that's going to find this next great stat. I'm going to find I'm going to be the one to find the skeleton key. But you find out real quick that there is no skeleton key. Uh, <laughs> fantasy football is just, right. you know, it's such a short season. It's so volatile. There's so much variance. But it doesn't mean that you that we don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, it Just because there is no skeleton key. Uh, like I said, you just focus on the things that we do have, though. 
uh, and making them work for you and making them actionable to your followers as well and and producing them in a way that they can understand it. Uh, You know, obviously we've had a big influx, you know, of the, the actual data scientists. And, you know, I always consider myself, I call myself the DVD of fantasy uh, analysis because I came after the VCR and I was a little bit step up, <laughs> but I had a very short shelf life because these these data scientists are just these 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 guys. They're a lot of them are just young kids in their twenties. Uh, right, they're right. so amazing with the the, the 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 charts and graphs they're able to produce on a whim, just like on a so easy. But they're also very bad at relating it to the general population right, exactly. and making it making so, people so bad. Like, look at look at this i made this great chart and like yeah i can tell what's going on but like you know my father-in-law that is playing fantasy in his three leagues and wants to read about fantasy content is going to see that and be like i can't i'm out of here like i'm just skipping over right, that so you right. have to be you have to find that bridge uh to you know kind of be able to, to to speak to the just the general public the average fantasy you know consumer uh because you know the we want to all get smarter and fantasy football has made everyone i think every football fan smarter in general it's definitely made me smarter about football and reading stuff that a lot of these people put out uh makes me understand not only fantasy football more but real football more uh but you have to be able to at least convey that you have to be able to get that to the audience as well which is which is really hard to do Man, that's yeah, that's I think that's a good point is you can put out the best looking little little cheat sheet that you think that you made from from, you know, from scratch on Excel or whatever the case may be. But if you if you can't immediately convey what the graph represents, then I people lose interest. I mean, I lose interest, man. Like, I don't want to I stare at patient charts all day and I have to read about like what diagnoses I'm dealing with. And then I have to go and read like PubMed articles like just for me. And, and I mean, like an engineer think about an engineer that just stares at a blueprint all day and you know, whatever, whatever, do whatever math they have to, like, they don't want to on their off time, have to sit there and try to figure out what, what freaking, you know, what this, this stat is in this chart that you're, that you're displaying, that's got 15 different lines running through it. So I think that's a good, that's a good way to, to convey for content creators to, to put things out that are easy to digest and not so much clickbaity if you can afford it at this point. So I love that, man. This was great. I'm going to have to have you on again. This is fantastic, but I do want to end with I was going to ask you to to describe fantasy football uh, without the words NFL football or game in it, but you you're just like rat a tat tat. So I think you're going to do that way too easily. So we're going to move on to the next thing. Tell us one of the assuming that your kids won't listen to this podcast. But tell us one of the following: uh, the time that you got the most drunk, the time that you said something and immediately regretted it, or some a story that embarrassed you, uh, or talk about the best accomplishment of your life. Um, yeah, I have a couple of questions for you too. And after this, uh, okay, since I'm okay. just going to hijack your show, but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, definitely, I think, you know, I don't know if you put this question in here on purpose because of the, you know, interaction we had, but something, you know, that immediately regretted, you know, I had responded to a tweet of yours on Twitter, you know, about a month ago or six weeks ago. Uh, oh, no, this I, had no, I didn't even think, no, that had nothing to do. With, oh, sorry, finish the story, but that had nothing. But, you know, I'm not going to tell a story. I'm not going to even repeat what I tweeted out. If you want to find it, you, you know, I'm sure you can. It, you know, it's definitely not something I'm proud of. Uh, but, you know, it's easily, it's social media in general and, you know, just in our and Twitter, it's easy to kind of get sucked into that vortex and kind of, you know, become someone that you're really not, not as a person, but there's no way to come back from that really in, in terms of public perception. So, you know, I was definitely, you know, not happy with, you know, the results of, of responding the way I did uh, to that tweet and the, the fallout of, of that tweet. Uh, 
and you know it's just one of those things you you realize like yeah i need to step back from this uh you know just being on twitter or on social media in general because it's easily it can make you someone that you're not and you know we've all kind of been there i think especially people that are coming in now that because you have to be on twitter constantly to kind of make your way in this industry you have to engage followers you have to engage content creators you just have to always be out there in people's faces so they say yeah i've seen that guy he's or seen that guy or i've seen that woman they're constantly putting out information they're they're bringing up great points they're making great uh counterpoints great fantasy diatribes are going on uh yeah i'm going to give that person a follow i'm going to read some of their content but also it is easy to kind of be that person while you're going into that mode of responding to everything or when you're in your downtime looking at your phone or when you're trying to watch a tv show checking your phone or just you know constantly kind of you know getting into like i said that, that social media vortex um and not just taking a beat and, and thinking about what you're tweeting or you know what you should be responding to and what you should just be saying as a representation of yourself so uh, definitely that sticks out to me. I didn't know, like I said, if you put that in there on purpose or not, but, uh, definitely something that happened to me recently, uh, that I wasn't too pleased with myself about in the, in the fallout. So, uh, you know, sometimes you gotta take a break. Sometimes you gotta remove yourself. No, absolutely, man. I I've been there. Um, I've been in situations where I feel like I'm in the middle of an argument and I literally ask myself, what am I doing? Like, I've said that out loud, like, what am I doing? Why do I, why do I care? So like, why do I let this, you know? frazzle me as much as I am. Why? Like this is, this is a stu- first of all, this is a stupid topic. Sometimes most of the time, this isn't even worth arguing or talking about or discussing any further. Why did I engage? And it just, and like you said, it it's, you put it such a good way. Like you can get sucked into it so easily and sucked into like, because whether anybody wants to admit it or not, every tweet conversation and interaction that we, anybody does or, or has, on Twitter is part of it is entertainment art. Like part of it is a performance because you see, you know, that it's a public forum, you know, other people are going to read this and part of it is a performance. And part of it is like the semi, you know, almost like persona that you are because nobody's, nobody's a person they are on Twitter. Nobody. I mean, very rarely are you the same exact person on Twitter as you are, you know, in your real life. So you can definitely get sucked into that vortex. I, for one, have gotten to know you a little better the last few days, man. And I, and I think that you're a super good person. I think that just based on conversations that we've had, like you are not somebody who would tweet out negative things just on a whim. Um, and I think that your values are centered. So obviously I had you on the podcast. So, and you just blew my ears off with all this fantasy information. I just, I just like asked you a question and you went. So I don't think anybody would hold anything against you at this point. I wouldn't hold anything against you. And I actually want to have you back on because I want to ask you more questions when, once we get closer to the season. I appreciate it. I mean, listen, I always love coming on people's podcasts for the first time. And, and you know, what's funny is, you know, uh, is uh, people like don't ask me like to come on. I don't know. It's I don't know. It's not I don't think it's like an intimidation thing, but like I don't really even get asked a lot. I don't know if they say they think I'll just automatically say no, but I actually love going on new podcasts or talking to people. I haven't got a chance to because it's just a chance to, you know, one, extend the brand and extend, you know, just the, the community, you know, just going on and meeting some of these people, talking to them, kind of you know, getting a feel for the person they are. But I do got a couple of questions for you that I think that you're the person, uh, you know, uh, to ask these questions. Uh, a couple guiding principles of ways I've played fantasy football. I need you to break these. That you're kind of, Let's I need you it. to myth bust these for me. Okay. Because okay. of your background. All right. So just two, two quick ones. Um, 
I have always been adamant on not drafting players who are already hurt in the preseason. Is that dumb or is it something I should keep doing? Oh man, I hate this answer that I'm about to give. It depends, right? Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Hamstring injuries in the preseason probably don't matter. I actually went back in August and I did a thread on from 2019 players that were injured in the preseason. And it was like a, like a random list. Like Derrick Henry had a calf. Kenyon Drake had a foot. Kenyon Drake was in a walking boot two, two, uh, two off seasons in a row, which was weird. Um, we, and obviously you, you can think about what you want. Kenyon Drake, what, you know, Kenyon Drake was Kenyon Drake. And he didn't necessarily, you know, blow the doors off or anything, but it, that hadn't his, that had nothing to do with his health. He was in a walking boot two off seasons in a row. Uh, something more, insidious like when cam newton when he's in a boot in 2019 and then he comes back and he's clearly limited that's a different story so in in short when you see hamstrings when you see quads when you see you know ankle sprains even david montgomery i mean he had a he had a groin strain yeah and and that was something that like does it increase their volatility because of soft tissue injury like yeah absolutely at the same time it's I think that part of what drove the, and I think I fed into it too much too at this point. I don't know if you followed me at that point, but I think part of the, the, the thing that scared people is how bad it looked like quote unquote bad. It looked, he slipped and it looked really bad. Like he just lost his footing and slipped in it and it looked like he just fell really hard And the video, which is so much available so much more often now with people to see scares people when in reality it doesn't like what, what an injury looks like oftentimes it doesn't correlate and i would i would argue hard rarely correlates with like the severity unless it's a specific mechanism like an acl so the long answer to that first question is rarely does it matter and if it does matter you more than likely know that it matters if that makes sense and if not you can just dm me (laughs) no no it does (laughs) and i always i always like when people like you or dr dr gene doesn't do it as much because yeah dr gene does it uh he, he, he's not as, as uh, you know heavy on the Twitter, but I always love when people uh, tweet some video of some guy running in practice and they're like, yeah, it's coming. And then, then you or uh, someone in your field's like, oh, yeah, he, there's no explosion there or anything. Like, uh, right. Uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. I always like seeing that. Um, he's just jogging. But, uh, uh, just, and then, yeah, so like the follow-up too is always from a DFS stance, more ties into it, is that I've always been really uh, you know cognizant of when players are coming off of multiple week injuries, uh, you know, this pertains more to DFS than it does like season long. Cause you're going to always play your studs mostly, but fading guys like their first game off of, uh, you know, like multi-week injuries, especially at the, the quarterback position as well. Uh, you know, guys that have, have come back from these long absences uh, just because they haven't really played football uh, and, you know, not knowing if they're a hundred percent and so on and so forth, uh, you know, kind of avoiding those guys right out of the gates. Uh, is, how, how bad is that? And, and is that just I, the same answer as before? No, no, no. I think that's a good, that's a really good question. That's a, that's like a more legit question that you could ask. So when you see somebody, and again, it sort of depends, but there is a hard, I, I promise I'll give you a more solid answer. So when you see Deandre Hopkins didn't practice three days in a row with a back injury, but he's done that two weeks in a row now he's probably going to be fine. He's probably going to play like the same thing with AJ Brown. Like AJ Brown didn't practice like every, basically didn't practice all season. He still came and balled out. Like you knew at some point it becomes a pattern. Uh, The reverse is also true. Like when you see that, that for example, I think Devontae Parker, he was limited in practice with the hamstring strain came back, uh, tried to try to push through the hamstring strain. You see reports that are like, Oh yeah, this guy's going to try to play. Recurrence is the highest after a hamstring strain within the first week back. 
and over like a one-year calendar period, recurrence is about 20%. The problem is you can't pinpoint when that's going to be. But in theory, in theory, the first week back after a hamstring strain is the highest possibility for them to re-injure it. Uh, one of the famous case studies is Adam Thielen, right? Adam Thielen went out, uh, came, tried to come back way too soon, mm-hmm. and then was out for like another five or six weeks or something. Like that's the classic situation that you don't want to see with 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 hamstring injury specifically but like a contact injury i'll give you a a stat here that i was i I talked to scott about this actually i was dming him so here we where are we at with running backs specifically i think i opened the wrong study so basically as i filibuster filibuster while i try to open this (laughs) high ankle study that i want to look at what you what i looked at was high ankle sprain specifically because of that specific question that you asked about was, you know, what does it actually look like when they come back off of a high ankle sprain? And I'm looking at it here. I'm finding the average. It was like a, I think I want to say uh, a 15% decrease the first week back from a high ankle sprain for players who average at least 10 points, um, 10 points per per game. So I can't, I can't pull it up right now. Um, I was not prepared because you, you, you threw me off. I'm not as, I'm not as quick on my feet as you are. Uh, Rich, but definitely for the first week off a high ankle sprain, even if they're studs, their ceiling is capped. That's what history will tell us. This is from like 2016 to 2020. The first week back, typically there's about a 10 to 15% decrease in their average compared to their seasonal average that week. Uh, so yes, when, when it comes to like cash games and especially if you're throwing some money down on the table, I imagine somebody like you is throwing some money down. If you're looking for a ceiling, even if it's Saquon Barkley coming off of a high ankle sprain, even if it's Saquon, I'm not running. I'm not rolling with Saquon uh, his first week off a high ankle sprain, even if the defense is like middle of the pack. So that's that's the answer I'll give. Sometimes it matters in high ankle sprain specifically. It seems like it does matter. Beautiful. I'll take it. I mean, listen, those are two things that I've always incorporated. Now I play with no reasoning and I needed to ask someone if I need to recalibrate. So definitely some things to think about. And I know there's some other people out there, you know, listen, you found a great area to get into this industry. And we kind of just, you know, talked about, you know, a little bit ago, what, you know, ways to get in. And uh, there's definitely uh, plenty of room out there if there are even other people like you are in the medical field and just looking to provide this type of information as it pertains, you know, to fantasy football and tying it in uh, over to it. So, I mean, you definitely found your niche. Like I said, you were, you were the person I think I brought up on more podcasts this offseason than anybody in the entire industry. Dude, uh, that, so honestly, when you said that like that, I genuinely am flattered by that. Like, I appreciate that. It I really promise I didn't call you little Dr. Fell on all of them. <laughs> Dude, even if you uh, did, I'd be totally fine. <laughs> I appreciate it. Any closing yeah. thoughts? Anything else? No, man, I'm just glad we got a chance to, uh, you know, to catch up and, and do this in the offseason. Hopefully we get a chance to do it again when it's closer to season and, you know, more people are probably, you know, consuming fantasy football content and, and podcasts when they're at their their height like they are in the summer. Unless we're JJ, you know, in his podcast, like we all slow down this time of year. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> Maybe at that point you can give your top 25 list of literally everything in the world. But listen, hopefully we said enough things on this podcast that were evergreen that we can just spin it back. Yes. You know? exactly (laughs) harken back we will harken back i appreciate it man i really appreciate you coming on this was this was a ton of fun man i was uh, i was really looking forward to this one and you over delivered so thanks again make sure everybody follow reeves over at lord reeves you heard it here first he said he likes being on podcast so hit him up let him know thanks again reeves appreciate it